Today's scripture comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you all so much for being here. It's, it's uh, I would say the privilege is all mine uh, of, of, uh, of being here with all of you. My wife and I, one of, I, I suppose one of the, the regrets of the busyness of life and the pace of life and ministry is that, is that we get to, in so many ways, spend uh, so little time with uh, people that we would love to, to be alongside. And we always think of all of you, our friends around LA who are serving together and doing ministry together and building and participating in, this, in uh, these Christian communities around Los Angeles. But it's great to be with all of you. She and I, my wife Kelly and I were here with you, it was a few years ago now, almost um, right around this this time in the summer, and um, back at, at the uh, community center in San Marino, it's great to see where God has has led you and to be here with all of you. Uh, all of this, of course, uh, kept very uh, very uh, carefully through my, our friendship with Tim and uh, and my own affection and appreciation for him and for his family. So uh, so we love you all and, and we appreciate this opportunity to be here. So I wanted to begin by asking this question. Here, do you ever long for something more of what you already have? Do you ever long for something more of what you already have? Or do you treasure something so much that you fear, that you act out of fear of losing it? It could be a season of life, a place, a relationship, maybe a role that you have in your life and, and you love this season of life or you love that relationship or you love this role so much that you constantly need some kind of reassurance that it won't go away. I heard a pastor say this even recently, that oftentimes the things we value most in this life, we are most afraid of losing. And so in the great kindness and the wisdom of God, God offers us constant reassurance throughout the scriptures that he is, keeps us, that he cares for us, that we are called into, his, into this new life through the gospel as we just explored in our time of confession, and that because of God's grace towards us, that he keeps us I heard another pastor say about the scriptures, fundamentally, deep in their core, one of, the, one of the most common messages that the scriptures proclaim are remember and don't forget, remember, don't forget, remember, don't forget. And we want to explore here today what all this might mean as it relates to the giving to us in the gospel of the Holy Spirit. And so today we'll explore these twin realities of, of our union with Christ, that we are both filled with the Spirit, as the Scriptures say, and we are kept by or sealed by the Spirit. And then we have these longings that kind of flow out of these realities that, that we want more of the Spirit and, and we're, we don't want the Spirit to ever depart from us. And these are words that even appear in the Scriptures. Maybe it would be helpful if I illustrated it this way, that even though I know that, that I, as a believer in Christ and as a grateful recipient of the mercy of Christ, have been filled with the Spirit, and I know from the proclamations and promises, even in this book earlier of Ephesians, where it says that, that I, as a follower of Christ, 
will be kept by the Spirit and sealed by the Spirit, I still pray every day, Lord, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Lord, don't take your Spirit from me. And all of this is, is out of this, this um, hopefully not a lack of faith in God and his purposes, or hopefully not a doubt in the promises of God as expressed to us in the scriptures, but simply a desire to, to, to keep what God has so graciously gifted to me and to have more of what he has so generously offered to me. And so the gospel, knowing that this is true of all of our hearts, offers this hope-filled provision for the space between those two realities and the longings that Christ has risen, that he has done the work on our behalf, that he has ascended, that he has united himself to us by his spirit and he will come again as the restorer and redeemer of all things. And so we rest in all those promises always for all the gifts of salvation as offered to us in the gospel. And so this year, in particular, back at the end of May, the church commemorated the, the Sunday of Pentecost, which is a time when the church remembers the pouring out, the, the pouring out of the Spirit. We sang in some of the themes of our worship songs today, the, the, the fire of the Spirit fall upon us, fill us afresh with the Spirit of God. And the Sunday of Pentecost is the birth of the early church where the Spirit is poured out on the church. And so for all of us who are gathered here today on this particular Sunday, I want us to ask this question about this passage in Ephesians chapter five. What does Paul, the apostle, mean when he says to be filled with the Spirit? Way back in the early few centuries of the church, the, the, the patristic authors, the early fathers of the church wrote at length about, around the list of the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. And there's a very beautiful connection between how they viewed the gifts of the Spirit and the promises of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 11, verses one through three. So writing of the promised Messiah, the prophet Isaiah said this, but a shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse and from his roots a bud shall blossom. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And, here, and then he goes through this list. And here, here's, here's what Isaiah says. It is a spirit of wisdom and of understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and a fear of the Lord and his delight shall be the fear of the Lord. And so Isaiah, long before the arrival of Jesus in the world, writing about the promised Messiah, makes these promises that, that whoever it is that's coming to deliver us from our sin will bring with him a spirit of all of these seven things. And now interestingly, in some branches of the Christian church through the ages, uh, for many, many years, for hundreds of years, there was a prayer that was prayed over recent new converts in this rite of confirmation while the bishop would lay his hands on this person who had come to faith in Christ and had been trained up in the ways of God. And he would pray this prayer, all-powerful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, by water and the Holy Spirit, you freed your sons and daughters from sin and gave them new life. Send your Holy Spirit upon them to be their helper and guide. And then the, the, the bishop, his hands on this new convert, would pray this prayer, give them the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of right judgment and courage, the spirit of knowledge and reverence. Fill them with the spirit of wonder and awe in your presence. And so we have this repetition in this prayer of confirmation, the same promise of the prophet Isaiah writing about the Messiah, that all these things were these beautiful gifts of the spirit that we long for in our own lives. 
And so today in our time this afternoon, we'll seek the wisdom of the scriptures in discerning how Paul encouraged the early church at Ephesus to be filled with the Spirit. And this is not meant, by the way, to be a comprehensive treatment of all, that the, all the ways that the Holy Spirit interacts with us and all the ways that his, his presence and power in our lives is made manifest. But this is a rather just a simple look upon this brief paragraph in Ephesians chapter 5 of what the Apostle Paul meant to highlight in the lives of the Ephesian church. And there are two questions, two questions that will form the framework of our message today. And I believe these are two questions that the scripture invites us to ask. The first question is this, will you walk in the wisdom of the Spirit? Will you walk in the wisdom of the Spirit? And the second question is, will you walk in the ways of the Spirit? So wisdom and ways. So question one, which is the first movement of our message today, will you walk in the wisdom of the Spirit? Some of you may notice in our scripture reading today that Paul says, uh, don't, you know, don't be drunk with wine, but rather be filled with the Spirit. And so Paul, I believe, is commending here a filling of the Spirit over and against this filling with wine. And some commentators on this passage would agree that, that, that why, why would Paul put forth this contrast. What's the difference between being filled with wine and filled with the Spirit? I've heard some commentators argue this, that wine inhibits self-control and it encourages this sort of extravagance or a wastefulness where the wisdom of God is self-controlled and it's temperate or careful. And so how is this carefulness or self-control manifested in the lives of all those who follow Christ? I believe we see three ways in our scripture for today, which form the answer to the question, how do we walk in the wisdom of the Spirit? The first characteristic of the wisdom of the Spirit, at least as it is offered in the passage for today, is number one, a redemptive view of time, a redemptive view of time. In verse 16, Paul encourages the readers from the early church at Ephesus to make the best use of time, make the best use of time. Uh, many years ago, my wife and I, our kids were very young. We had, uh, we had a home. It was, a, it was owned by the church where we were serving at the time over in Pacific Palisades where we uh, served for many years. I was doing youth ministry and, and the, the home belonged to the church. But there was, and so basically we lived there for about 10 years. And, uh, and we would, over time, we kind of had this we didn't plan it all out ahead of time, but it was like, okay, you know, let's, let's start with the kitchen and we'll fix the kitchen up and make it how we want it. And then we'll move into the kids' bedrooms and as each of the three kids was born, their rooms got little upgrades and, and made to be their own spaces. And then we went and moved, when they got older, like, well, let's start in the backyard. And the last little corner of the house that, that uh, it, was, it was, I suppose every house maybe has one. It was kind of just the junk pile. It was hidden away from the street behind the garage. It was this little maybe 15 by 20 foot area that because no one could really see it, it just became the place where, you know, wood scraps and old, you know, paint buckets and, <laughs> and uh, stuff that we didn't want to see, we just kind of got tucked away back there. And, uh, and so I remember one day I was back there and I thought, you know what, surely this corner of the yard has to be, you know, it could be better used for something. And so over time, I took a few weekends and, uh, and transformed it. There was a beautiful tree back there, and so we, we built this tree forward and cleared out all of the old, old um, you know, stuff that we'd been storing back there, and it became one of our kids' favorite places to play. And I've always uh, gone back in my own mind to this conversation, the same way that the Lord works his redemption in each of our lives. The beautiful prayer of confession and time of confession that we prayed earlier was in so many ways a similar expression of the longings of our heart. Lord, 
show unto me the, the corners of my life, the areas of my life that, 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 that need your redemptive touch, need your formation, your healing, need the presence and the light of the holiness of you, O oh God, and the redemption that only the gospel can offer. And so, and so the backyard illustration is a small and simple illustration of the work that we long to have done in our hearts, knowing that nothing can be hidden from God, and so we bring everything to him in confession. And this has to do, of course, with Paul's reminder here to make the best use of time. So maybe one application for our time today might be this. If there is any time that, that you may have spent in this week behind or in this week ahead that might be better used to help const- be constructive in, in this life of faith or to serve our neighbors or to, um, to live forth acts of compassion or to speak words of life, to offer encouragement, whatever the Lord may be calling us to, to do. I would invite us each as an application of our time here today to pray this prayer. Lord, how can you make me as a response to this invitation to live in the wisdom of the Spirit? How can, how can you help me to make the best use of my time? I hope this question isn't too convicting, but I ask it of myself. <laughs> what are some things you do during the week that, that, are, that are really in so many ways meant to be just kind of time wasters, the escapism, you know? Uh, maybe I didn't know, I was one of those people that, that up until the time of the pandemic had never really spent much time on Netflix or, uh, <laughs> but, then, but then once the pandemic set in, I was like, oh, this is what people are talking about when they talk about, you know, binge watching these television series. And, uh, and then that became during the time of the pandemic a way to like, well, let's, you know, let's in, in a lot of ways, you know, waste some time. And so I have, I've, I've tried to, as the years have gone on since that time to consider some of the things that maybe time wasters and to offer as a response to this invitation of the Apostle Paul uh, to make the best use of time. One of my favorite prayers in all of the scriptures comes from the prayer of Moses, Psalm chapter 90, where he asks of God, teach me to number, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And I think we can hear so clearly this echo in Paul's invitation to make the most of our time that same prayer of Moses, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So big question number one, big movement number one is will you walk in the wisdom of the Spirit? The first way we do that is by having first a redemptive view of time. The second way is, is this, a recognition, a recognition that the days are evil, a recognition that the days are evil. The reason I say that is because in verse 16, Paul says, we make the best use of time because the days are evil. Elsewhere in the New Testament, in Romans chapter eight, verse nine, the writer of the Romans, the letter to the Romans, speaks of being in the spirit to describe the Christian's experience, which is over and against the experience of someone who doesn't follow Jesus. Someone who is in the spirit is, not, is no longer walking in the flesh. Romans 8, 9 says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. So, so the book of Romans makes this promise over us that we are no longer in the flesh, but we are in the spirit. And so the church where I serve at Pacific Crossroads, which, which thanks be to God, is so closely knit to all of you here at The Way, um, I know that all of you, because I know Tim and I know 
several of you who worship here and who have served here through the years, I know that you have embraced your placement here in the city of South Pasadena in this area as, as, a, as one of the realities of, of who God has called you to be. You long, I know, from knowing many of you to have a redemptive and you know, presence in this community, that you long for your gathering here as a congregation to mean something to this neighborhood and to approach your relationships with your neighbors and your coworkers and friends with great love and with great care. You long to serve your neighbors. I know my family and I, we, we, we love our neighbors and we seek to reach out to them. We pray for our city. We long to seek the renewal of our city. And a spirit-filled life we hear in the words of Paul is attuned to the needs of the lonely and the oppressed, the fearful and the wounded. A spirit-filled life is used by God for the renewal of all of creation and for the flourishing of others. And when Paul proclaims here that, that, that one of the realities of being filled with the Spirit is that you recognize you want to make the best use of time because the days of evil, what I hear Paul saying here is, 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 to, is to have our hearts be broken for the needs of the city, to recognize areas of darkness and to recognize ways that God might be calling us to serve. The scripture cries out to us here from the page to consider how we might redeem our time for the service of others. How might we be called by God into renewing our culture, into reaching out to our neighbors, into committing ourselves to faithful acts of compassion and mercy to those who are lonely and oppressed and fearful and marginalized. And so in these first two manifestations, <clears throat> excuse me, of the care-filled, self-controlled life, we can see a deep earnestness in the words of Paul to make the most of our time in the service of the common good. And how do we do this? Which is point three underneath our big question. That is understanding what the will of the Lord is. Verse 17, Paul says, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now my wife and I are in this interesting phase of life where because we have one college student and well, up until a, two, a couple months ago, we had a high schooler and a middle schooler. Now we have two high schoolers who will be starting, uh, starting their school year here pretty soon. And so it seems like for the last several years, we've been almost every spring at a graduation. And for many years before that, I was a student ministry pastor working with middle school, high school, and college students. So I've been to dozens and dozens of graduation ceremonies through the years, including several for our own children over the last few years. And graduations are an interesting time because it seems to be a time in our culture where notable individuals, politicians and athletes or uh, movie stars, artists and academics are invited to give commencement speeches and the speeches so many times are designed to, to distill the wisdom of the speaker, to energize the students and to inspire them. They're meant to give a generation of soon-to-be graduates launching into their next arc on their life's journey. And many of these speeches that I've seen and heard of are poignant and they reflect God's truth. It's always so interesting to see what people choose to say to this group of graduates as they're launching out into this new season of their lives. Recently, just a couple of months ago, the New York Times published a guest essay on the potential danger of amplifying this message that is so often spoken in graduation speeches, which, which the, the, the New York Times article described it this way, Follow your passions, follow your passions. They said, how many times do we go to a graduation uh, uh, ceremony and hear the speaker give these words of advice to the graduates, follow your passions, which is a very well-intentioned message. But the essay in the New York Times said this, 
as a caution. Following a large-scale survey of young people and their passions, the essayist helpfully concluded, our point is that the passions that young people are supposed to be following seem highly malleable and susceptible to influence. In other words, when asked to identify their passions, people seem to do precisely what following their passions is supposed to discourage, and that means they simply conform to societal expectations. So the essayist urged whoever is listening to these speeches to change what we say to high school and college graduates. Sure, you can follow your passions, but also keep an open mind and try things that you may have ruled out without even realizing why. There may be more to be passionate about than what you now realize. And so here in this essay, we hear what I believe is a secular reverberation of Paul's rejoinder from the Ephesians letter. Do not be foolish, but understand what the word of the Lord is. One of my favorite preachers and theologians, John Stott, said this, Jesus himself prayed, not my will, but yours be done, and taught us to pray, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Stott punctuates that thought by saying this so clearly, nothing is more important in life than to discover and do the will of God. Nothing is more important in life than to discover and do the will of God. And so in our pursuit of the, of, of the wisdom of the Spirit, we have these three points, a redemptive view of time, a recognition that the days are evil, and understanding what the will of the Lord is, which leads us into big question number two that, we, that the passage asks of us today. Not only will you walk in the wisdom of the Spirit, but will you walk in the ways of the Spirit, the ways of the Spirit? And very similar to question one above, Paul offers three ways, specifically, I believe, that we can walk in the ways of the Spirit. And the first one we've already participated in today, in verse 19, he says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the, to the Lord with your heart. And what I love about this is, is that it implies a belonging to one another. It implies, so, so it's, I always wonder, sometimes I bring you know, a friend with me to church and, and at lunch afterwards or on the drive home, they often reflect on the uniqueness of, of like gathering, if you haven't done this before, okay, so you gather in a, an assembly hall and, and uh, with a bunch of people, some of you know, some of you, you may not know, and, and the person gets to the front and starts playing music and everybody starts singing along. And it's a very unique experience in, in our culture. But Paul here is, 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 is inviting us into this life of singing, of, of making melody, of lifting our voices together in the assembly with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs because we belong to each other. Our voices are united to one another. When we come together in an assembly like this and turn our hearts and our voices towards the Lord, we are acknowledging before God and one another that he has given us a voice to sing with one another. And it implies a deep and a wholehearted engagement in communal life. Church can be very, very challenging at times and, and, uh, and because we are, are a group of people that God has called unto himself and we have different interests and different personalities and different motivations. And that's one thing I love about the moments where we come together and worship and sing is that we join our voices together and we weave the, the, the sound of our hearts together as we sing. I've always loved what is true about the people of God and that's the people of God have always been a singing people Throughout the earliest descriptions of those who gathered in the presence of God, there has always been these songs that we sing of life. And I hope as a result of what we've 
spoken of even in this portion of our message today that we might consider ways to deepen our relationships to join even for dinner after service this evening to be engaged in community groups and 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 to find ways to serve alongside one another as we live life together because we are a singing people and the reason we are a singing people point number two under this question is because we are a thankful people So people who live according to the ways of the Spirit are a singing people and we are a thankful people. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. One theologian said this about this passage, the injunction here to give thanks always and for everything presupposes a deep and underlying faith that God can produce good out of even the most unpromising situation. And that thankfulness, therefore, can be felt because the confident hope that in some wonderful way, God will make even disaster and suffering an occasion for later blessing. I've been having an experience on, this is kind of a funny, it's quite a shallow story. I'll just tell you that at the the outset. one of the ways I get around town, my wife and I have an old, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's like a golf cart, basically like an open car. It looks like a golf cart, but it's, it's a little neighborhood electric car. We live in Santa Monica, and, my, and our kids go to high school. It's about one mile down Wilshire Boulevard, and, uh, and, and the car has no suspension at all. It's just like tires, and, the, and so every time you hit a bump or a pothole, it's just every... You know, sometimes I get home from driving the car and like my shoulders and neck and my spine are sore because every time you hit a bump, every, your, you know, your skeleton, the only thing you have to like absorb the energy from the road is, is, is uh, <laughs> it's, it's all internal, right? And, uh, and so I remember a few weeks ago, I was driving down Wilshire to take one of my kids to a sports practice or something and we headed out on Wilshire and during the night, the city had come through. I don't know why, but there's, they only, they, they put a brand new strip of, of black asphalt like down the middle of Wilshire Boulevard. And there's two lanes going westward on Wilshire from our house towards the school. And they only did one lane. But now, even just this morning, I was driving to church on my way to PCC and I, I, I was going down the, the new, the brand new smooth lane <laughs> and just loving it because, because uh, it just feels so different than what the old Wilshire used to feel like. I'm not sure why, I don't know when they're going to finish up the other lane, but, but whatever, as long as we have the one. And, uh, and it's been, it's, it's a silly story, but it's, but every time I drive now down Wilshire on, on the new smooth lane, I think of, of, of. And I, I, I just say, I just feel so grateful uh, because I have this new opportunity to drive on the smooth road. A lot of that has so much to do with the work that God is doing in our lives and, 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 and the ways that, that, that he provides for us and cares for us. And I think what, what the, the point of the story is really for each one of us is that we would, we would, in our journey through life, that one of the marks of the work of the Spirit in us and walking in the ways of the Spirit would be that we are ever more grateful, that we are an ever more and ever deepening uh, people who give thanks to God and who express our thanksgiving to God in the ways that we sing. So a third and final way that we can continue to build a Spirit-filled community of deepening care and trust, and this is our last point for today, in the ways of the Spirit is from verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this certainly must be one of the most distinct features of a community that is truly brought together by and then compelled to action by a shared reverence for Christ. And that is that we submit to one another. 
Churches do not belong to pastors or elders or deacons. We believe that each of those roles is important, yes, to the healthy functioning of the church, but only to the extent that all those of us who serve and love the church, who, who, who belong to this place, that we have a deepening desire to serve one another, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wouldn't it be amazing? And I always think this, right? If, if, if people, if, if one of the things they noticed whenever they came into, into our churches, into these communities of people who long to live out the purposes of the gospel is that they would say people treat one another so differently here. They submit to one another. They yield to one another. They honor one another above themselves. One author said this, as we reach the end of our message today, there must be a willingness in the Christian fellowship to serve any, to learn from any, to be corrected by any, regardless of gender, age, class, or any other division. It's kind of amazing how God has brought us together and who he has called us to be and how he has called us to serve one another. So the question for application at the end of this section here is where do we see this submitting to one another in our own lives and across our congregation here? And so to close our message today, I would invite us to remember these two realities. Yes, that we are filled with the Spirit and yes, we are sealed by the Spirit, but we have underneath those two realities, these two longings to be filled with the Spirit and to be sealed by the Spirit. And so we remember the work of Christ on our behalf in the gospel and we answer these questions. Will we walk in the wisdom of the Spirit and will we walk in the ways of the Spirit? And we long to do so by Christ's power and provision. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace at work in our lives. You have done far more than we could ever have asked or imagined, but you have called us together by your grace into this community, into this new way of living. I thank you for this congregation and for the great joy of, of being here, of being present here, of seeing all those who are gathered um, here in this room and the children outside in their spaces. We thank you for the great gift of worship and that you have offered us this opportunity by your grace to be assembled in this fellowship today and to be strengthened and formed and shaped and encouraged and renewed by the words of life that you speak to us and by the privilege of gathering as your people in singing and in giving and in serving and in praying. So we pray, Lord, as we go out from this place today that you would strengthen us, that you would give us the grace to walk in the ways of the Spirit and the wisdom of the Spirit. We love you so much. We thank you for all that you have done. In your name we pray, amen.